encourage you to grab your Bible, open now to Colossians, and it'd be right to aim for chapter 2. We're going to be in the verses just right before that, and we'll get into chapter 2 a little bit this morning. So Colossians chapter 2. While you open, I'll tell you about a weekend I had a few weekends ago. I found myself at Magic Mountain. I was doing what people do at Magic Mountain. I was I was waiting. Uh, I was waiting in line. I was waiting in line a, a lot. And as you can guess, I was not alone. There I was with my family. It was hot and I was surrounded by thousands of, of other people just doing the exact same thing. We were all waiting, willingly waiting. We were intentionally waiting. And as I thought about that, I was realizing I was kind of putting myself through this pain on purpose. I was there to celebrate the birthday of my oldest daughter, and she's not in junior high anymore, so I can talk about her now all that I want. Uh, we're there, just waiting. People do this kind of thing all the time, and people wait in line. It's called queuing. Uh, it happens on Black Friday when people wait in line to try to get some huge TV at some ridiculous cost, or they wait in line to try to get like a newest iPhone coming out. People queue up when they're thinking about, you know, trying to get like the newest PlayStation or whatever. People do this all the time. People wait and wait and wait. They do it on purpose. They wait not just hours, but even days. They willingly suffer. It's got me curious. You guys know how I think. So I'm just like, oh, I wonder what the like longest people have waited or what's like the biggest lines. Found all kinds of crazy stuff on the internet. The internet always wins. But some of the largest lines of all time, people waiting days for a chance to get a ticket to watch tennis at Wimbledon. You can go to like that second picture. Uh, You thought In-N-Out was bad. That was my picture for Magic Mountain. Go to the next one. Back in the 1990s, this McDonald's has nothing on what we do. This was the first ever McDonald's opening in Russia, and people were willing to wait 10 plus hours just to get some, some of those McNuggets. Uh, it's, I don't know about that. It's interesting. We queue up all the time. We get in line. We wait. We suffer when we think that the suffering will be worth it. Chick-fil-A, that line, totally worth it. Magic Mountain, yeah, pretty, yeah I, I'm going to go with worth it. Chicken, I don't know, McDonald's in Russia, I think I would probably pass on that. Not worth the suffering in my mind. But suffering is what I want to talk about this morning. It's suffering that our passage is about. And not about suffering for a PlayStation or some of that Chick-fil-A sauce. This is something better. Suffering that's far more important. Suffering for something that has eternal value. And Paul talks about suffering and he talks about the joy that it was for him to suffer because he knew that it was worth it. He knew what it was producing. He knew the effect it was having. His suffering for preaching the gospel of of Christ was benefiting so many people. So to him, it it was so worthless. 
worth it. Countless numbers of people were coming to genuine faith in Christ and they were, they were growing in their faith. You have to remember what's happening here in Colossians. He had shared the gospel with this man named Epaphras and Epaphras brought that gospel back to Colossae and he, he shared the truth of what he learned from Paul. A lot of people believed in it and then they were growing in their faith and he was able to share that with Paul and Paul got so encouraged by that. Paul, it was a joy to suffer. The kingdom of God was growing and it was a joy for him to suffer knowing that these believers were growing as Christians. And it's sort of that second part that we need to think about this morning, this idea of of how important it is to keep growing as a believer. The idea of how how crucial it is that not only are we supposed to get saved, but that we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to mature in our faith. That's also part of God's big plan, not just to save you, not just to redeem you, but for you to grow in your faith. To Paul, that was something he was willing to suffer for and not only suffer, but to joyfully suffer. So understanding that their spiritual growth was that important that Paul was willing to suffer for it, we shouldn't be confused. We shouldn't think that then this still isn't something that's really important today. It's very important. This is something that's part of God's big plan. So our big idea this morning from Colossians, sort of the end of chapter 1 here, verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 5 Our big idea is this, God's desire is for believers to grow in their faith. God's desire is for Christians or believers to grow or to mature in their faith. We'll pick back up where we left off in verse 24 of chapter one. This is Paul's letter now continuing. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The gospel has 
come to us through a line of these faithful servants like Paul, a, a line of people who have boldly and faithfully proclaimed God's truth, God's grace, God's forgiveness, people who have taught about new life in Christ and also how to live that new life in Christ. It's been centuries of, of servants of the gospel proclaiming God's message. It's been years and years of this since Paul. And, and Paul sort of does two things here in his letter. He explains how God used him and then why God used him. What's the benefit for us of just this sort of bio of Paul's life, how God used him and why he used him? Well, if you're not a Christian this morning, you're going to get sort of a sneak peek here at the, at the love that Christians have for you, at the love that God has for you and what they're willing to endure so that you might come to know the truth about God, so that you might come to know the, the truth about the gospel, God's plan and purpose in you being saved. It, involves some persecution, some suffering for these believers to share this message with you. I think we learn from Paul that sort of a better understanding of the mystery of the gospel is that Christ's death, it makes a way for you to be made right with God. You, not just somebody that Paul's talking to thousands of years ago, but still this truth today. The mystery of, of the gospel is not a mystery any longer. So if you're not a Christian, you can learn from, from Paul's story that this, this big plan of God's still happening right now today. And if you are a believer this morning, I think you'll be encouraged to see from Paul's life how God can work in your life, how God can help you grow, and how God can use you to help others grow as well. So we'll kind of look at this in the way Paul talks about it, these two parts First, we'll look at the end of chapter one here, and we'll call it this, who God uses to help believers grow. Who God uses to help Christians grow. So again, Paul explaining how God powerfully used him. Paul's whole purpose here of highlighting his role is to show how God chooses to spread his gospel. God doesn't just... Uh, send everybody a DVD in the mail. God doesn't just speak over like a, a loudspeaker over the earth. He uses his people. Think of what we learned from Paul already in this letter. He was thankful for how the gospel had been embraced there in Colossae. And Paul dove into this massive truth of how the gospel is, is only possible because of Jesus the gospel so incredible because of who Christ is, that one holding all things together, keeps the world spinning. We read that in 2 Peter. What is God doing? He's keeping that world spinning. He's being patient, desiring and wanting many people to come to faith in him, many people to be saved. That's what Christ is doing. He's holding the creation together. And then Paul writes about the church. He's also holding the church together. Just like he keeps the world spinning, Christ is keeping that church spinning. This church is one of them so that we have an opportunity to learn and to grow. 
In Paul, we saw this last week or two weeks ago, Paul explains then how the gospel worked in the lives of those believers at Colossae, how the gospel works in our life too, how we're alienated from God. But through the gospel, we can be made right. We can be restored. We can be reconciled. The whole purpose of that is growing in holiness and to stand before God one day declared innocent. So this is the message that Paul has been chosen by God to declare. He was made a minister of, of this work, of this good news. This is his job to tell people about this. He wants to let people know of God's big plan to not only make them disciples, but help them to mature as disciples, to grow. He's a servant of the gospel. And this is really what a servant looks like. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction. What is that? I mean, such a confusing verse. So let's kind of put that last part on hold for a second. What can we learn about servants of the gospel? Here's, here's Paul talking about his role. One, he suffers. It's not a miserable suffering. It's a joy, Paul says. He rejoices in it. He rejoices to go through this unpleasant experience, to suffer for preaching the gospel. It's, it's a privilege for him. It's an honor for him to spend his life this way. It's a joy for him to know the truth. It's a joy for him to know that he was saved. It was a joy for him to sort of be on God's team, so to speak, to, to know he was on the inside. And, and now he has this great privilege to try to recruit people into the kingdom, to share this, this news, to share how it changed his life. But that sharing does bring some suffering. It wasn't an easy road. It wasn't that sunshine and Skittles life for Paul. As he writes this, his very life hangs in the balance it's very possible that any day his execution sentence will be, will be brought up. Any day he, he, could, he, he knows his, his life could end. And not only that, but just even reviewing his life, it was far from easy. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 33, Paul sort of pulls back the veil and, and lets people know what his life has been like. Read it sometime. It's insane. The first verse, he kind of gives a little recap. All these labors, all these imprisonments, uh, so many beatings. He's so often near death. It's just, it's just normal for him. Go to a town, suffer, get beat up, almost die. All right, let's go to the next one. It was just his life on repeat. He suffered. But listen to what he's saying. It was a joy to suffer for the gospel. That little phrase there at the end of verse 24, it is confusing. It's a, a tricky verse that in my flesh, Paul says, I'm, I'm feeling what's lacking in Christ's affliction. Let me just say what it's definitely not. This is not in any way about Jesus' death on the cross being inadequate. That's what so many people want to run to. That This is somehow Paul saying, okay, Jesus got me almost there. Let me do a few other things to sort of fill that up, to make Jesus' death now worth it for my salvation. That is not this. Paul knows Jesus died for him, that he's been forgiven, that his debt is paid in full 100%. But what he is talking about is that he's lacking something. We feel the same way 
every time we sin. Believers do. Something's not right. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not what what Christ wants me to be in the end yet. We recognize that and we feel that we're not there yet. Yes, we're saved, but the the full effect of what Christ has done for me in the gospel, it's not fully realized yet. There's there's still some room to grow here. And I know the end. I know I'm going to stand before him perfect and holy and blameless and innocent. And we long for that day, but we know looking at today, I'm just not there yet. That's what Paul's talking about there, that just getting closer every day, inching along, becoming a little more like Jesus today than yesterday. And this is why Paul's willing to suffer. This is why it's a joy for him because he knew that, that his suffering was for the good of so many other people. They would not only hear the gospel and be saved, but because of what he was doing, they were going to grow. Churches were going to form and, and these churches were going to help these believers be equipped not only does he suffer, but look at this. He also knows that it's, it's God's will. He knows that it's God's will. Verse 25, he becomes this minister according to the stewardship from God. Paul wasn't suffering because the enemy, enemies of the gospel were so much more powerful than, than God was. He wasn't suffering because he was just an obnoxious guy and a troublemaker and he couldn't you know, keep his mouth shut. It wasn't that. He's suffering because this is God's plan. This was Paul's God-given responsibility. Paul was commissioned by God to take the gospel to the nations. This is what, this is what God chose Paul to do. Especially the world outside of that Jewish population. He was tasked to share the gospel with Gentiles and to make God's word clearly known. Verse 25 says, fully known. Perhaps better to fulfill the word of God. Paul was part of God's big plan to bring salvation to the world. This was God's promise even way back in the Old Testament. From the first time God talked about salvation, from the first time he talked about redemption and his covenant love for his people, it, it always included the, the, the world. It was always this big plan, but that plan was a little bit of a mystery. How is this going to work? How is this going to happen? Who's going to be the one to do this? What is the plan, God? Paul says this mystery is just not a secret any longer. The mystery is Christ. The mystery which is glorious and wonderful and available to the nations is Christ in you. Do you see that in verse 27? This is the mystery unpacked that Christ can be in you. This is how God's secret plan is being worked out. This is it. This is how God is you know, choosing to spread his gospel. And this is how God still spreads his gospel. This is the plan. Everyone can have Christ in their life, in their heart. Everyone can have that hope of glory, Paul says. What's that about, this hope of glory? Everyone who puts their faith and trust in the gospel can be confident on that day when they stand before Christ. It is not a day to dread. It is not a death to fear. It is a moment to anticipate, a moment to look forward to, knowing that I will stand before God righteous, because of what Jesus has done. It's not about me, but it's about what Christ has done for me. 
That's why we have this hope of glory. And that only happens one way by embracing the gospel and putting your trust in Christ and his death for your sin. So the servant suffers here. This is Paul's life. He suffers joyfully and he suffers as a part of God's big plan here. And he suffers to proclaim Christ above all else. Look at verse 28. Him, Jesus Christ, it's him we proclaim. We warn everyone and we teach everyone with all wisdom that we can present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There's no other message. Paul isn't confused about what he's supposed to talk about or who he's supposed to teach about. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Paul's not confused about that. The whole world needs to hear of Christ. And it's the job of those who believe to proclaim him, to warn everyone, to teach everyone, to warn them of the judgment that they face if they don't repent, and to teach them what Christ has done for them to, to be brought into the kingdom to teach them how to live this new life in Christ. God uses his his people to spread this message. And all this is to be done for a singular purpose. What's that purpose? He says it right here, to present you mature in Christ. The whole point of this is not only to see unbelievers come to Christ, but it's to see them grow. It's to see them mature. It's to see them grow in their faith, their, their faith, their face. Yes, their faith until the day they stand before God. Paul wants them to grow because he knows that's God's plan for their life. And he's all about this plan. And you can think, you know, that's great for Paul. I see that. Paul was a big deal in the Bible. He's all over the place. God gave Paul this special mission. He commissioned Paul. But he hasn't done that for me. God hasn't given me this same kind of task that he gave Paul here. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28, called the Great Commission. Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Great Commission, this is God's plan of spreading the gospel. And without a doubt, it absolutely includes every believer. Everyone who follows him is a part of this command by Christ before he ascended back to heaven. This is our task. This is what we are to be about. We have been commissioned to spread the gospel. This is what it is. To be a part of God's big plan of of, of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth is God's desire for, for all of us who follow him. We suffer, we suffer joyfully, it's a joy because of the benefit of seeing how, how believers are going to mature in their faith. Paul says in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he works within me. There is struggle and there is pain and there is suffering. But notice what Paul said, God's at work. God's at work in my life to help me do this. And for you young believers here this morning that are thinking, how can I do this? The same truth is is, is, is 
really at work in your life too. God is powerfully at work in your life as well. God's desire is to use you. You, young Christian, are the kind of person that God uses to spread the gospel. So who does God use? He, he, he uses Christians. He uses all who follow him. Let's look at point number two. This kind of leads us to why God wants us to grow. So not only you know, who God uses, but why does God want us to grow? And we'll look at the first five verses here of chapter two. Verse one, Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for everybody who hasn't seen me face to face. Paul sort of begins chapter two here with this attention grabber. For I want you to know, he says. This is like a, a don't miss this kind of phrase. It's like when I say junior hires, get this. It's the same thing. Obviously, the whole letter he wants them to hear. But this is one of those things where he's saying, please turn your ears on. Please give this the attention. This is hugely important. So it should be important to us too as we read it. Paul wrote these words. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Back in verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith and stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It's that, that truth, that message that, that Paul became a minister of. He explained his role and he helps us to see how God's plan of, of spreading the gospel actually works. And how God uses those who follow him to spread his message and to help others grow in their faith. Faith, we have to grow because there's a danger if we don't. All that's kind of connected to verse 22 and 23. This is what Christians are supposed to do. And if we don't grow in our faith, that's, that's, that's in jeopardy. That we're not going to stand strong. That we're not going to be firm in our, in our faith in Christ. There's a danger in not growing and being stable and, and steadfast. And what does Paul say there in verse 23? A danger in shifting away from the gospel. Like we're looking at this beautiful painting and it's, it's captivated our attention and it's hard for us to take our eyes off it. But then something is, is tapping us on the sh shoulder and we begin to look away. We begin to shift away from it to focus on something else. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. If we're not going to grow in our faith, we're in danger of looking away from this incredible truth. Paul wants his reader to know what God's up to, why God desires believers to grow. He wants them to know so they won't be vulnerable to some other competing message out in the world. He wants them to, to grow so that they'll know how to guard their lives, make sure they're growing as God intended. Oh, we need this, this same warning still today. We need the same understanding of why God wants us to grow as well. We need to make sure that we know we're supposed to be growing and, and growing as God intended. So he says in verse one of chapter two, it's a, it's a real struggle, sort of continuing his thought from the last verse. This has been hard work and toil, struggling to see these believers grow in their faith. He'd been toiling by God's grace and by God's strength, which was at work in his life. What was this work? Well, is what he said in verse 28. It's proclaiming Christ. It's warning people and, and teaching people with wisdom. 
This was the work he was up to. And it was hard work, something that consumed Paul everywhere he went, everyone he met. He took it as an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. Not to be annoying, to do it in a winsome way, to share the the, the truth of God's judgment on their life and the best news ever that they could be forgiven, that they could be reconciled with God. That's what he he was doing. He was teaching them also then how to live like Christians if they believed, how to grow in their faith, if they actually believed in Christ. And he says it was hard work, but we know it's only through the work of the word that people actually learn and grow. I think a great verse that we talk about a lot in junior high, it's, it's one that I hope you're having imprinted on your heart and in your mind. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. It's not by any other way that we learn and grow. Paul writes, all scriptures breathed out by God. It's scripture that's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. There's nothing else that equips us for the good works we have in Christ. It's scripture. It's God's word. It's the Bible. This is the only way we, we grow in our faith. We badly, badly need it. So Paul, he played this active role in God's big plan. He was equipping saints. He's building them up. He's he's sort of growing them in their knowledge of God. He wants them to grow. He wants them to mature. He doesn't want them to be deceived. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers And he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ This is exactly what Paul's up to. This is the work that he's engaged in. This is the role that he's playing, helping these believers grow in their knowledge so that they're not so easily tossed around by what other people are saying, especially what seems to be happening here in Colossae, especially what seems to be happening in our world today. All these other competing messages, all these other, all these other things that we're hearing and, Paul says, no, no, this is what we need. We need God's word. And I'm going to speak the truth to you in love and it's hard work. He did it for the Colossians. He did it for Laodicea. He did it for so many people that he'd never even seen face to face. That's what he says in verse one. And what's the result? Why does God do this? Why does God want this for believers? Look at verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be knit together in love that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Why does God want us to grow? This is what Paul says right here, so that we can be encouraged by the gospel. Because life's hard and we need this constant encouragement of what God's done for us. And so that also we'd be knit together. We've talked about this so many times already. Only the gospel can, can unify these two kinds of groups of people, Gentiles and Jews. It's impossible that they would ever get along, but through the gospel, they actually love each other. We need that same work in our life to, to get along with people who we're in church with. 
Look at this room, how different we all are. And yet in the gospel, we can all have this one purpose that unites us. This is why God wants us to grow, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd love each other, and that we'd also have this amazing assurance, this hope because of our faith, that we'd have this deep wealth, this rich confidence that we understand the mystery of Christ that we would know too that we're saved, that we never doubt that we've been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. That there is always hope for, for that last day. And Paul sort of returns to his main point right here to this reason why all this is necessary. There is a deceptive force, a danger that's desiring to pull people away. There are false messages that try to shift people away from the only source of hope that truly exists, the hope of the gospel. He says in verse four, I say all this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments to be deluded away from the truth to be misled. No, you don't actually have to live that way. Just get saved and then live however you want. God doesn't care. That's a, that's a message that's being preached today. That's not the gospel. Paul says, don't be deluded by some crafty message or some guy who's a great communicator. Oh, be so careful. Those who understand the gospel tend to care very much about the truth And they tend to be willing to fight for that truth of God's word. They're willing to suffer. They're willing to go toe to toe with that which is deceptive for the people that they love. Do we know anyone like that? You better believe we do. Our pastor is an incredible example of this. Willing to fight for the truth because he doesn't want his church deceived by the message of the culture, by the the hot message of today. He's willing to fight for it. He's willing to work for it. He's willing to suffer for it. It's amazing. Someone been so faithfully used in God's plan of not only saving people, but helping them grow in their faith as well. This is is God's plan. This is God's purpose. He wants us to grow in our faith and we so badly need it. Just like Ephesians 4.14 says, so that we're no longer children no longer tossed around by all these messages around us, that we're not deceived. This is why we have to grow. Paul sort of returns to his initial thoughts on joy here in verse five. For though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit. I'm rejoicing to see your good order, to see the firmness of your faith in Christ. What's he saying? It's not only a joy for me to to get you started, but it's a joy for me to see how this is working, to see how God brought you to faith and to see how God is still at work in your life. It's such a joy for me, Paul says. I love it. I don't care that I'm in prison. I don't care that I'm in house arrest. I don't care that I might die today or tomorrow. That's what what he's saying, because this is a joy to see your good order, to see the firmness of your faith. It was awesome for Paul. That was God's plan then, and this is still God's plan today. This is God's plan for you. Through Paul's letter, we get to see how God used him and why God used him. And through God's word, we know that God's plan hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. He still uses his people today to warn and to teach. 
He still uses his people today to share the gospel so that others can come to faith and others can grow in him. God gives you the church of which Christ is the head and again, he holds that all together so that you have a place where you can know the truth and you can grow. It's helpful to see God's plan, isn't it? So helpful to see how he works and why he's doing it. Junior hires, this plan absolutely includes you. I want you to know that. I know you hear that from me and from others who preach here twice a week, but don't forget that his plan includes you. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be saved and he wants you to grow in your faith so that you're not deceived by what this world's trying to do. And if you aren't saved this morning, you can, you can call out to God this, this morning. You can do it right now. Ask God to give you faith, to help you to trust in him, to trust in what Christ did for you on the cross, to give you that faith to believe in him and to turn away from your sin. It's available this morning. And if you are a believer this morning, I just want to give you a few thoughts, a few thoughts about when we look at God's plan like this. Number one, if you're a believer, you should be inherently thankful Your thankfulness and your gratitude of seeing how God's big plan has worked in your life should cause you to be such a thankful person, such a joyful person this morning to see and remember that person who brought the good news to you and to see how God's worked in your life in the church to help you to grow. It might not be a lot, but I bet you've grown a little bit. I bet you've grown maybe just an inch or two. Not only should you be thankful, but I want you to be willing to be used by God as a part of his plan. If you really are following Christ, I think that's the second big piece. To not be ashamed of the gospel, but to be so willing to be used by God in his big plan. Before the Great Commission, a few chapters before Jesus, again, talking to his disciples, calls them the salt of the earth. And the light of the world. It's Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. This is what he says Let your light shine before others. Let your light of this new life in Christ, let it shine. You can't, nobody lights it to cover it. It's been lit so that other people can see it. Jesus says, Let it shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let them see your light so that they can be drawn to the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for this passage, for the example of Paul's life, how we can learn from him of the joy it is to be used by you, the joy that comes from sharing your truth with the world around us, the world that so badly needs you. God, I pray that these junior hires would come to know you, that they would put their trust in you for salvation and forgiveness. Pray that, God, they would grow in their faith. Father, those whom you've saved, would you fill our lives with your truth? Help us not to be deceived. Help us not to be tempted to look away, to shift our focus from you. God, I ask that you would also use us in your work this week in your big plan of salvation and helping believers grow. Would you use us this week in what you're doing? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.